Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello, and welcome to Living Stones. I co-host Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. I'm joined in the virtual studios, as always, by my good friend and compatriot, uh, the man who tried to revive the fig tree that the Lord condemned. The one and only Ken Hellenius. Ken, how are you doing, brother? I am very well, thank you, Deacon. Uh, That was, uh, and to coin a phrase, that was a fruitless activity of mine. Uh, (laughs) See what I did there? Dad joke. (laughs) I got you. I got you. Yeah. That's that's funny. Uh, the old parable of the fruitless fig tree. And that, uh, of course, in the Gospels there, it's like, and then Jesus's disciples remembered what he'd done, you know, and yet, yet another mm-hmm. one of those signs of the Lord's power. Of course, on the other hand, if you're a fig tree farmer, I've got to think you're much like the uh, the pig farmers who uh, that Jesus drove the legion demon into. They're like, look, we like you, but could you maybe go away from us because you're not good for business kind of deal, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How are you this fine day, Deacon? I'm doing well, doing well, my friend. You know, uh, busy as always. Just this, you know, this time of year, I'm heading toward uh, Lent here, and uh, also, um, you know, a lot of makeup engagements from uh, COVID mm-hmm. cancellations and reschedules from 2020 and early 2021. So, um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm quite busy traveling, traveling quite a bit. But uh, you know, again, grateful to God for the opportunity to be, um, be able to be back on the road and, and do what God has called me to do. And to quite frankly, just be able to provide for my family as well. So, uh, you know, I, again, I'll never take this whole thing for granted. Not like I was before, but now I really, you know, right, right. just, uh, just going to appreciate every single day and every single opportunity I get, I get to do this work. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. It's uh, it's good to be back uh, on your, your livelihood. Uh, and of course, the best part is that your work is actually an outgrowth, a direct outgrowth of the vocation that God has placed in your heart, the call that God has extended to you as a deacon, as one whose life is devoted to sharing the gospel, to preaching the gospel, particularly to those of us who are at the margins or outside of the church in a way. Um, And that's, when I say that, that's not to um, steal from what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks, because we're going to explore and discuss your new book, the book that you've written um, about. It's like a handbook for Catholic deacons. It's called Our Life of Service. And uh, I'm really excited about this. We've we've talked about it, kind of hinted at it over the last few shows that uh, we're going to get to break down your book. Uh, this is brand new, published by Ave Maria Press here in beautiful South Bend, Indiana. And we are excited to discuss Our Life of Service, the handbook for Catholic deacons. So uh, it's not every day that we get to have a great author discussion, but in this particular case, I didn't even have to call anyone to invite the author onto the show because <laughs> we're together every week already. So. <laughs> How awesome. How awesome is that? Well, thank you, Ken. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, no, uh, it's, yeah, it's definitely, definitely a labor of love. That's for sure. So let's go ahead and, and chat about uh, this book. Tell us a little bit about what's the genesis of your book, Our Life of Service. How did you come to write it? 
Well, a couple of things came together. Um, one, uh, I've been wanting to write something on the diaconate for, for quite a while and uh, just wasn't sure what direction I wanted to go in. You know, I was looking at um, some of the other uh, books and other literature that have been out there on the diaconate and tried to find a space where I could make a contribution. I had on my heart initially to do to focus on the third tier of the munis or that function, task, or duties of the ordained deacon. Uh, the way the Latin puts it is docendi, sanctificandi, and regendi, teaching, sanctifying, and leading. So that le- that third tier is the service ministry of the deacon. And um, so I was thinking about doing something along those lines. And then COVID hit. <laughs> so, right. uh, so now I'm sitting at home trying to figure out what to do next. So I said, hey, why not write a book, you know, like work on that, uh, you know, to explore that idea that I had on the book on the diaconate. So I did that and put together um, my thoughts and uh, um, put together a book outline. Avi Maria was interested. Um, they had written me a while ago about um, doing something for them. And so I, I uh, contacted the person that contacted me initially, sent my book idea proposal. You know, they they really liked it, and I said, "Yeah, let's 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 go with it." You know, so um, yeah, so I I wrote the book and submitted it, and uh, you know, back and forth with the editing process, probably more so for this book than the others, <laughs> which is interesting, um, because this one is more also like kind of a more so than my other books, this one is more in a sense like a workbook as well, because they have at the end of, uh, they have tips in like in the middle of the chapters, there's certain tips that they wanted me to put in there. And at the end, they have, um, at the end of every chapter, there's a question for self-evaluation mm-hmm. and a goal setting exercise and a closing prayer. So Ave Maria approached this as a way to use like in, in a group study kind of a format sure. again, which is not something I've done or, or thought about before when I'm writing, but they thought that that would be a good way to go with a book like this. And so uh, that's what we did. So I went back and forth and had to rearrange some things. And, um, you know, it, it's just the style of writing uh, of way of putting a book together. I wasn't used to, but I, I think it's very helpful. I think it's going to be very pastoral, especially for guys in formation. Um, that are discerning, that really gives us some questions and some things to really discern and think about and go deep in. Well, that actually then kind of leads into my next question. Who is the primary audience for this book, Our Life of Service? And um, where, what kind of settings are are to be used in? So, well, the, the subtitle is uh, The Handbook for Catholic Deacons. So it's probably for Catholic deacons, I would say, <laughs> but, 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 but here's the thing it's for guys who are already ordained and some guys, you know, when I was first writing this book, they're saying, oh, I don't know if I need a book like that. I already, I've been ordained for a while, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, but there's always, what I found is the more I learn, the more I, I realize how much I don't know, you know, you can always go deeper. Like for example, a guy's been in the parish, um, for years. And he's had a good working relationship with his priest. And say that priest dies or the priest moves to another parish. And he gets another priest in who, you know, doesn't normally work with deacons. Mm-hmm. You know, so so now what? You know, so, so now all this experience you've had, in a sense, goes out the window because this priest comes in with a bunch of new ideas and 
you know, may not really like deacons or hasn't worked with deacons or, or not comfortable, whatever. And so I talk about that in the book. I said, well, you can look, I, I discussed that in the book. So maybe you can take something from that, you know? Sure, sure. Um, this is also obviously for guys in formation, guys that are discerning, um, especially along with their wives. And I think that's when this, the, the question, the study questions really help, you know, as well. And it, I think it's also a great resource for continuing education for deacons uh, as well. There's a continuing education requirement in every diocese. And um, I think uh, going through this as a group, I think would be very helpful. Uh, and then also for bishops as well, you know, to really understand how they can work better with the deacons in their diocese. And there's still a, a couple of dioceses, dioceses that don't have deacons. Okay. I, I, I believe they don't feel the need for them, which tells me they don't really understand the diaconate. And so I think this is a, a great way uh, for them to better understand the role of deacons, especially as they work with with the bishop, with his excellency. And then finally, for the, for lay persons, for, for lady to understand what is a deacon, you know, like, uh, uh, yeah, I see him up there on the altar and I see him, you know, helping out at St. Vincent de Paul or whatever, but, you know, yeah, but, well, in fact, I had one lady not too long ago, um, I was dressed, I, I had priests at masses, all the masses on the weekend at this parish, and she came up to me and she, she points at my finger, at my ring. She goes, you're a married priest. I said, I'm not a priest. I'm a deacon. She goes, what's a deacon? And I said, oh, okay. Ah. <laughs> so, I, so even now, I mean, this is, this is 2022 and, you know, people still don't know what deacons are. So, yeah. so I think it's very timely and, um, you know, we're only what, 60 years past the second Vatican council. That's like baby. It was still in diapers. We're still, right, <laughs> we're still right. in infancy you know, uh, in the life of the church and, and the restoration of the diaconate. So um, I think this book would be very helpful for all kinds of people. Awesome. Well, let me play the, uh, let me play the, the average lay person in the, in the pew then and ask that very question. You've, you've kind of talked a little bit around it. What is a deacon? What, particularly what is a permanent deacon like you are? Yeah. So, so the way I explain it is like, uh, so remember in uh, Acts chapter six, when um, the, the widows um, uh, were feeling ne neglected. And uh, so they, they said, pick you know, uh, some men amongst yourselves and we'll institute them uh, for the ministry of service. And so they picked seven guys. Stephen was one of them. And uh, the apostles laid hands on them and they began their ministry of service. And we see an evolution of that service ministry when we get to further in Acts of the Apostles with Stephen. Stephen, who was in that first group of seven deacons, is out preaching, you know, um, and he was, and he was, became the first martyr of the church who died for his faith in Jesus Christ. Um, then we see Philip out there baptizing and evangelizing. Mm -hmm. And then we see St. Paul referring to deacons in 1 Timothy, you know, and, and about, and, 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 and explaining about their roles and things like, so we see this evolution of the diaconate right in the, in the first century of the church. Um, and the deacon is to uh, assist the bishop with this ministry of evangelization. So the bishop has two main roles, to facilitate communion, to bring people uh, around, the, you know, around the sacramental life for the church, especially the Eucharist um, and, and the sacrament of reconciliation. So he has the priest to help him with that role. And then he has the deacons to help with his ministry of evangelization. And the bishop can't be everywhere at once. He has to have multiple priests in different parishes and, and, and multiple deacons. 
And this role of the deacon as uh, a minister of evangelization, uh, a permanent sign and witness, a sacramental sign and witness of the service ministry of Christ. Um, this is shown at mass, for example, that even when the Pope says mass, a deacon reads the gospel, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that gospel evangelium means good news. So the deacon is the proclaimer of the good news. And then when he, le- then when he goes outside the parish, he's with the people in the trenches because a lot of deacons have jobs, you know, have mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. And so we're in the trenches, you know, Monday to Saturday. And, uh, and, and that's why also at mass, when the people are gathered together, it's the deacon that does the prayers of the faithful. Um, the deacon who comes forth from the people uh, and represents them at the altar when the, uh, he makes the prayers of the people known so that they could be prayed for. Okay. You know, and that goes all the way back to the early first, early second century of the, of the church. So, and deacons were permanent order all the way to about the uh, end of the ninth, uh, end of the 10th, beginning of the 11th century, where it became a transitional order. Um, so deacons never, they never stopped having deacons. They became from, from permanent to um, as, as a step toward priesthood. And then Second Vatican Council restored the deacon uh, the acting as a permanent order. So now we have both. We have transitional deacons mm-hmm. who are uh, men in seminary. It's kind of the last step on the way to priesthood. And then you have guys like myself who are uh, permanently ordained as, as deacons. And But the functionally is exactly the same. Whether you're a transitional deacon or permanent deacon, it's the same. Um, but it's just two forms of the, of the diaconate. And those who are ordained deacons as transitional deacons who then go on to priesthood or or even then beyond to bishop still remain deacons though in a way too right that's right so um these are um uh, three of the uh, sacraments that receive are permanent they leave what's called an indelible mark on the soul baptism mm-hmm. confirmation mm-hmm. and holy orders and so um those are those are sacraments again that leave that mark on the soul that um a character a spiritual character sure. is what the catechism calls it and um so um in heaven you know i'll still be a deacon i don't know what i'll be doing up there but <laughs> but i'll still i'll still be doing something. one assumes in some uh, way you'll be assisting at the uh, at the altar at the supper of the lamb in some way that would be cool. That would be cool. <laughs> that would be awesome. But now, um, Deacon, I, I got to ask this. You're also a married man. So yes, you have yes. kind of uh, you have a vocation to family life as well as then to service on behalf of and in the context of liturgical and um, uh, liturgical life and kind of our, our life beyond the the threshold of the door of the church, too. Yeah, so um, when we look at in the Latin rite, right, in, in the in the in the Roman Catholic Church, um, permit we have married men that can be ordained as deacons, but not deacons can be married. See, we often say married deacon is actually a, a married man who is a deacon. It's actually the reverse. So if if I was a, say say I was uh, single, and I was ordained a deacon, I can't get married. Okay. Um, but but a married man can become a deacon. So if my wife dies, I can't get married again. Okay. I have to dedicate the rest of my life to service to the church. Um, and but in the Eastern rites, you know, like the, the eleven different Byzantine rites or 
the Coptic or Syro Malabar Maronite. Um, those men, um, uh, same thing, married men can become deacons or priests, mm-hmm. you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in those rites. You know, so um, for us, the priests aren't married because uh, it's a discipline in, in the Latin rite. Uh, because these, they're married, in a sense, married to the church. They're living the heavenly reality. And you just mentioned, can the wedding feast of the Lamb here on earth, representing Christ, the bridegroom, giving life to Christ's bride, the church on earth. Mm-hmm. So that's who he's married to, his bride at the church, in anticipation of the heavenly uh, marriage, wedding feast of the Lamb, uh, where Christ, the eternal bridegroom, will be giving life to his bride forever in heaven. So the priest represents that. And so, um, so myself as a deacon, you know, um, I, and we also are in parishes, right? We assist the priests and things in parishes, but a lot of our work, I think should be outside of the parish. Okay. Um, and I, and I do spend some time in, in the book talking about that as well. Sure. Now we have to say, by the way, that, uh, as deacon, you've just kind of talked about the discipline of the, of the Roman rite that we not have, that our priests are not married. That's the normal everyday experience. There are of course, uh, exceptions to that rule. There are priests that, uh, are, are married, uh, in the Latin rite. Some, uh, maybe they were, uh, you know, priests of a, uh, you know, of another church or, or another ecclesial community who became Catholic. And when they became Catholic there, they were ordained and they remain married. So that's, but the normal everyday experience of most Latin rite Christians, especially in the United States is that our, our priests are celibate. So we just wanted to. Yeah, that's correct. There I mean, are a good cases. example of what you just said, Ken, would be the Anglican ordinariate. Mm-hmm. So there are a group of Anglicans that wanted to come into the Catholic church. And so Pope Benedict, um, created the uh, the uh, Anglican ordinariate. So right. uh, a lot of those um, uh, men came into the Catholic Church, were married, and some of them became priests. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, one thing that is common though, whether East or West, or or even with this exempt or the ordinariate or those kinds of exemptions you talk about. Sometimes there's Lutherans that also come in sure. who are married. Not, not and not all of them end up becoming priests. Some become deacons. Like Deacon Alex Jones, you know of 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 uh, of a uh, uh, happy memory. Um, when he came into the church, he was a, a a Protestant pastor, and he didn't become a priest. He became a de- a deacon, okay. you know. And I and yeah. I was uh, and I miss him. You know, we were really good friends. Yeah. And uh, you know, but but there. Um, so not all of the 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 clergy from from other ecclesial communities actually become Catholic priests. That's something that has to be discerned between them and. Uh, and the bishop. Sure. Well, Deacon, I and, wonder, and, all, oh. and all the bishops are celibate, by the way, east or west. Sure. So you, no, none of the bishops in either are married. It's only uh, only the priest. So they only choose bishops from celibate men, men who have chosen celibacy and the priesthood to become bishops. There you go. Wow. Well, Deacon, I wonder if you might maybe share with us, and this isn't necessarily part of your book, but Tell us a little bit, in a nutshell, the vocation story of Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. That's something I think is a a fascinating story. And and uh, how did you become a deacon? Yeah, so it starts back all the way back when. Uh, well, I, actually, I think it starts back when I was still in the womb. Um, my mother had five miscarriages before having me. My mom was a petite woman, uh, and when she was first married to my dad. And she was what five feet, 
maybe 411, wow. <laughs> you know, and like maybe 110 pounds, 120 pounds. So she was very petite and, and um, she kept having miscarriages. So, you know, back then that would have been the sixties, right? So the technology wasn't as good as it is now. So they thought, well, maybe she can't have kids. And when she got pregnant with me, they put her on complete bed rest. So she was in the hospital um, and complete bed rest for the pregnancy. And so when I got large enough in the womb, she, this, and my mom had a very strong devotion to St. Um, uh, to St. Jared, to St. Gerard. Oh, sure. Jared is how they say it in, in Australia. Okay. <laughs> when I was there, but she has a very powerful devotion to St. Gerard. In fact, all of us are named Gerard, right? Middle names or something are named oh, wow. Gerard. So, so she prayed to St. Gerard and said, you know, if you let, and she, she prayed obviously to the Lord through St. Gerard. And, and prayed that if you let this one live, you can have him, is, is the way she put it to me. Wow. And so after she started praying that, uh, the, the hospital was near a church. So when the, uh, the bell would ring for the Angelus, I would move around in the womb. So my mom took that as a sign that I would live and be consecrated to God or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, and one thing that, that I do remember that I remember being nine years old and being in church, I loved going to church. Now I, I know that's very unusual for a kid because usually, you know, you're distracted and you're running around and you're not focused. And, but I remember, um, my, um, I, I used to sit on the edge of the, uh, by the, by the aisle. And then my mom would stand next to me and my brothers and my sister would be on the other side of my mom because they were typical kids hitting each other, throwing Cheerios or whatever. <laughs> but I was like laser focused on what was going on at the altar. And I remember thinking there's something really cool going on up there. I don't know exactly what it is, but I like it, you know? Yeah. And then I got old enough to serve and I just, oh my goodness, I loved serving mass. Like every opportunity I got, if it was a funeral, if it was, you know, weekday mass, you know, if they, they asked sorry, for the seven o'clock mass on Sunday morning, I, I would volunteer, you know, because I just <laughs> wanted to be up on the altar. And what's beautiful, Ken, is I still get that childlike excitement when, I, when I'm standing in the back ready to process up the aisle. I still get that kind of excitement um, awesome. about being on the altar. Wow. You know, and so I thought that vocation might, um, you know, might be to priesthood. And when I got to high school, it was run by Benedictine monks. And so they had a come and see program, which I did all four years of high school, went off to Notre Dame, worked for a year at, at the university and worked for the police department. And then um, came back to Jersey and joined the, the Benedictines and thought, I'm living out the vocation. This is what my mom talked about ever since I was in the womb that I'm going to be, you know, and and I was happy in monastic life, quite frankly. And I left because my mom got sick and almost died. Oh, wow. And so the abbot gave me three months out of the monastery. And when I was out, I think it was the second month I was out, I met Colleen at a wedding. So <laughs> <laughs> my wife, my future wife. So that didn't work. So, uh, But anyway, my mom, you know, my mom, quite frankly, felt sad when I left because she thought it was her fault. That mm. she kind of thought I lost my vocation because it was her fault that she, you know, she got sick. If it wasn't, if it wasn't for me, you'd still be in the monastery. So she, you know. But um, but obviously later on she would <laughs> she would see what God was doing. <laughs> right. So anyway, we we come out to Oregon, and um, I still feel a pull, a tug, and attraction. So we went to Immaculate Heart in in Portland, 
I uh, I dove right in. Man, I was St. Vincent de Paul. I was altar serving. I was lecturing. I was parish council. Uh, you know, whatever I you know, and it still and it wasn't enough. It wasn't it wasn't satisfying that longing. And so um, I discovered that the diaconate, I'd never seen a permanent deacon before. And um, Father Nicholas, the pastor at the time, we talked about it. And I ended up uh, being accepted into the program back in 1996. Okay. I was 30. <laughs> at wow. the time I was young. Yeah. Uh, I had to wait till the next year for a class. So um, I, I was uh, in the next class in 97. And it was five year process. So I was ordained in 2002. And at that time we had to get master's degrees from the University of Dallas, which I did. And um, yeah, I was ordained November 23rd, 2002. And so it's uh, this year will be 20 years. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And since then you've obviously, you you had a job at the time because I met you. I knew you, that's how you we worked met. together yeah. at <laughs> University of Portland indeed. Um, uh, but now you... Uh, you, your full-time work is the ministry of evangelization. Yeah, I, I'm actually living out um, what I think the deacon was originally uh, designed, ordained to do, you know, um, preaching, teaching, and ministries of service. So um, going to the hospitals, going to the um, uh, assisted living communities, going to the prisons, going to orphanages, going to those places that the Pope Francis talks about on the margins yeah, and, 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 and um, bringing Christ to those people, you know, the, the, the word of God, the, the good news, the life changing news of the encounter with Jesus Christ, you know, priests in a sense, that's really not their job because their job is being a parish. And yeah, they go to hospitals and prisons on pastoral to say mass and administer the sacraments that deacons can't do, which is great. But our job is to bring the message of the, to meet, have them literally meet Christ in us and, and, and bring them back to the life of the church, bring them back to the life of the parish, bring them back to the ministry of the priest so that the priest can be Christ for them. You yeah. see, that's the, see, we work together. And that's what's one of the frustrating things for me because there's so much tension sometimes between priests and deacons and there shouldn't be. Wow. Well, that's, of course, some of the subject of the rest of your book. And so we've run out of time for tonight, but let's uh, pick up the conversation next week when we discuss your book, Our Life of Service, the Handbook for Catholic Deacons, brand new out of Ave Maria Press, written by our beloved co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. So we'll pick up that conversation next week. We do invite you to connect with us via our Facebook page at Living Stones Media on Facebook. But until we gather next week, Deacon, might we have a blessing. May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.